Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza, and I'm really excited about our guest today. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about hypnosis, and we have a certified hypnotherapist on today. Um, Early in her life, Maureen Pisani realized that her life passion was to support others in creating their best lives. And how did she do that? Well, she became a certified hypnotherapist through the Hypnosis Motivation Institute in Southern California, where she now lectures and mentors the faculty. She's also been a guest lecturer at several universities, including UCLA and Santa Monica College. She's also served as program director and instructor for the hypnotherapy program at Mueller College, and much more that you'll learn over the next hour. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Maureen Pisani to the podcast. Welcome, Maureen. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Uh, Hypnosis is really exciting. That world to me is really exciting. I I know about all the stereotypes, and I know a lot of certified hypnotherapists through the years that kind of gave me the brass tacks of the realization of fact and fiction. So I'm sure you're going to clear the air in that regard as well. I will absolutely do my best. I think that hypnotherapy is one of the most misunderstood modalities. And, yes, I do own a soapbox. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. One thing I wanted to ask you before we get started was, uh, as I was preparing for the podcast, I couldn't help but think about my high school, my 10-year high school reunion, And I was a jock in school, and after all the niceties of shaking everybody's hand, you know, we went back to high school and all the clusters got back together. And so a lot of the the jocks, a lot of the guys and girls revealed at that time that they were smokers. And, you know, to jocks, you're like, how could you ever smoke? And they were saying it helped them relieve their stress. Now, this was obviously pre-COVID, and they were dealing with anxiety and smoking. I was wondering, as a clinical hypnotherapist, who are your major clients during 2020? Ah, that's very good. So 2020 is going to go down in history as the year that we would all wish to forget. Mm -hmm. But it's also overloaded with one of the things we hate the most, uncertainty. We all know we don't know the future. But what 2020 did to us was pull the rug from underneath us. Well, we didn't know what was going to happen next week, as in, am I going to be alive next week? Are my loved ones going to be alive next week? Are they going to get this deadly disease, and before you know it, they're going to die alone in a hospital because I'm not allowed in? So it took us to a point where we were very aware that we were on thin ice. And that is one of the things that is very unnerving to our unconscious mind. So we have two personalities on the planet. We have extroverts and introverts. Extroverts, by the way, all of us are in the same scenario, right? So the extroverts find the uncertainty to be unnerving and then tell every single person they meet how unnerved they are. And, oh, my God, a hug would really help. The introverts, who are 
desperately trying to hold on to some semblance of normalcy and maintain control are twisting themselves into pretzels from so much stress running through them because they dare not share that they need help. So for me, as a hypnotherapist who is bound by confidentiality, I get a nice percentage of both. I get the ones who come to me because the introverts know that I am bound by confidentiality, so nobody will ever know they're coming to me. But then the extroverts come to me because at least somebody is going to listen to them without cutting them off, interrupting, stopping them because they've said it three times before. So when it comes to who comes to me, it's how stress affects them, how much stress they've taken on, how long they've been struggling with it. And when they finally come to the point where it's like, oh, my gosh, I don't think I can hold on any longer. This is too much. I need, I need something to, to release the stress. Then they realize, huh, a friend told me they went to Maureen. Maybe I should give her a shot. Hmm. Or, hey, can you introduce me to your friend Maureen because I know she is a hypnotherapist and I think at this point I'm ready for her. Or they Google me or they see one of my presentations, or they meet me in a virtual networking event. So they keep coming, and I keep saying yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the big things in the news today was the governor of, North, of New York, and they are closing the schools again. And as, I ha- as we're having this conversation on November 18th, it made me think of, March earlier this year where we thought, oh, it'll be over by summer. Oh, it'll be over by fall. And we keep pushing that or uh, moving that football like Lucy did to Charlie Brown. And there looks like there may be a potential lockdown. So have you had people that you were speaking with maybe second or third quarter uh, to overcome the uncertainty because maybe in the back of their mind they thought, well, by the holidays, surely we'll be back to normalcy and now they're coming back to you again because we are not facing certainty? Yes. Yes. It is unnerving. It is scary. It is concerning. We, the one thing we know is that we don't know how to actually control it. And I'm not coming from a space of science here. I'm coming from a space of therapy because it's almost like we're in the Titanic, only it's not one section that's got the holes. It's got... 17,000 holes all over the ship. And it doesn't matter how many times we patch, another one pops open. So people are coming to me. Yes, it is, it is disheartening. My heart goes out to the kids because from one aspect, I totally understand they need the socialization with their friends. But it's too high of a risk to risk their futures, to risk their lives. So having another lockdown and shutting down the schools, in my humble opinion, just as, you know, Mir Maureen here, it's necessary to save lives. Because mm-hmm. cross-contamination is just dangerous. We know mm-hmm. that kids love to be together, and they need to be together, but they're not keeping the six feet apart, and they're not doing, you know, the two happy birthdays to wash their hands. And then who do they meet and reach out to at home? And they become carriers for a disaster where it could all be managed. Mm-hmm. 
One thing that I thought was interesting over, you know, over time, even before this, was uh, sitting in, I, I used to, as a disclaimer, I used to teach second grade way back in the days. And, well, thank you, know, you sir. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things that we had to pride ourselves on was keeping the kids quiet, right, keeping them occupied. And uh-huh. they have to sit for long stretches, and they have to be quiet, okay? And then when I went back to the business world and I'm in a conference, and all the adults are fidgeting. They can't sit still. They're whispering to each mm-hmm. other. So when you're talking about the kids need the socialization, how much is it that they're repeating what they see their parents do? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, yes. We've all seen the cute, whether it's a movie or we've seen it live, where an 18-month, two-year-old little boy walks up to an equally young little girl, holds her delicately by the face, and kisses her on the lips. And there's only one way that little boy saw it. Daddy did it to mommy. (laughs) (laughs) And, And when you see, you know, a tiny little toddler doing that, usually what happens in that room is that everybody turns around and looks at mom and dad who are basically purple because they're embarrassed to death. Hmm. But yes, kids do what we do. Kids don't do what we tell them to do. Kids do what they see us doing. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to stay there with that kid kissing the other kid because in recent years, uh, you know, once upon a time, parent, like you said, parents would blush and then that experience would pass. But in the, it reminds me of this book I read about the butterfly effect and they were talking about kids that were uh, you know primary school age and they did that and they were registered as sex offenders and so this is on their records before they're even 10 years old like how does how do you process (laughs) how do you in in my (laughs) in, in my opinion and I again coming from just Maureen here not an authority, okay? But if you're talking elementary school, the kids, in the therapeutic world, and I'll give you this from being a hypnotherapist now, if you have two 16-year-olds dating, it's 16-year-olds. If you have an 18-year-old with a 17-and-a-half-year-old, technically, they're in the same boat. Legally, they aren't because the 18-year-old now can actually be charged with statutory rape. However, you can see how an 18-year-old with a 17-and-a-half-year-old is way different than a 17-and-a-half-year-old with a 28-year-old. So when it comes to having an elementary school kid be labeled a sexual offender, that's preposterous. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I know it happens, but it is still, to be a sexual offender, you have to have the malice. If they're still elementary, what kind of malice could they possibly have? Mm-hmm. And I know there's going to be one person that listens to the podcast that's going to be the exception to the rule. So we're, we're talking in generalizations here. So, uh, yes, one, yes, absolutely. That's smart. I, I did want to ask you on, on your site, the ProThrivesbh.com. Uh, ProThrive stands for, or the, it's 
thrive science-based hypnotherapy. How important was it to include science-based? And is, is that a nod into legitimacy or in other communities? And could you tell us a little bit about the history of hypnotherapy and how you got to science-based hypnotherapy? Absolutely, yes. So the second you say the word hypnosis, most brains go straight to stage hypnosis. So let's rewind the story very fast here. But you know the phrase, he mesmerized me? Mm-hmm. So that comes from Anton Mesmer. Anton Mesmer in the 1700s created hypnosis. He came up with this magnetism. And he was in the French court just before the French Revolution. And he was wowing everybody because he got, you know, different states of hypnotic trance and he claimed that it was his power. Well, truth be told, there was a, a British physician in the audience, a guy by the name of Dr. James Braid, who recognized that something was going on and he also appreciated that he didn't quite get what was going on. Long story short, they tricked Mesmer in the French court, so he said something that wasn't, and they kicked him out in disgrace, and he basically fell off the side of the planet. Dr. Braid went back to England and had one of his servants stare at the label of a bottle of wine and observed him. And the servant looked like he was blinking, and the blinking got sluggish, and it looked like the guy fell asleep. So the word hypnosis comes from the Greek god of sleep, Hypnos. So as Dr. James Braid was doing his investigation and research, and there's a fantastic story in history about that, because of the fact that Mesmer was kicked out, the only way hypnosis stayed alive was thanks to the gypsies. So yes, absolutely a lot of people think of hypnosis as stage hypnosis, which is the tool used for entertainment purposes only. But why I went into hypnotherapy is because it's hypnosis used for therapeutic purposes. Now, because I'm a big nerd and I don't do anything because Maureen says so, I explain things with a scientific basis. So yes, it is a nod to science. Yes, it is a nod to differentiate me from all the other people who are shooting from the hip. And yes, it is a platform I utilize because if I tell you this is because of this, and by the way, here's the science to prove it, you, your conscious mind and your unconscious mind will be more apt to receive, accept, and implement my suggestions because you know I have a solid foundation. Absolutely. That it, well, it sounds a lot, the more that things change, the more they stay the same. And so what I'm hearing is if I can see it, then I believe it. And if you have the initials or the credentials after your name, that legitimizes you in a field that historically wasn't, was usually frowned upon. Well, the unfortunate piece is, first of all, yes, you're right, but the unfortunate piece is that the hypnotherapy world is not regulated. Mm-hmm. So somebody can take a weekend course and claim to be a hypnotherapist, which is the worst possible thing in my world. In my world, 
I am at the master's level in all modalities for the simple fact that if you're trusting me to help you and you're trusting me to help you to build a better future, would you be trusting somebody who's shooting from the hip and hoping to land on their feet? Or would you trust somebody who actually knows what the Dickens they're doing? Hmm. That's an easy answer for that. How how long is the <laughs> how long is the process from someone that since it's unregulated and someone does a, a weekend and puts up a shingle versus your credentials? How how long did it take you to get to where you are today? Well, the basic training was a year. I've okay. been in practice for fifteen plus years. And to be quite honest, I haven't stopped studying. It's something that, you know the saying, if all you have is a hammer, every problem is a nail. Mm -hmm. What if you take your car to the mechanic and all he has is a wrench, he really can't help you that much. But if you take your car to the mechanic and he has three walls of tools, then he can handle pretty much everything. And I've had countless people come to me in crises because somebody who was, and I very politely called them dilettantes, did something, started the process, did it incorrectly, panicked, walked out of session, and left these people going, and now what? Wow. So for all of you listeners, if you are interested in hypnotherapy, please research who you're interested in working with and find out their educational level. Ask them point blank, how long was the training? Because they can say, I took a training. Mm-hmm. Well, I know of places that give you a certification for a coach in a day. What kind of training can you possibly get in a day? Hmm. That's, that's, by the way, decent, thorough and effective and safe. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I mentioned teaching, and then when I went into, back into the business world, I was working with an architecture firm, and we designed research labs and or anything in the health IT space. And at the time, there was a Hatfields and McCoys, if you will, between mm-hmm. chiropractors and doctors. And so we, mm-hmm. at one of the universities, we were building a, a, a school where the medical students could work with chiropractors. And now today, you know, 10, 15 years later, they cross-promote each other. Are you seeing something similar with um, the, the medical industry partnering with Maureen because the, the prospective client now needs hypnosis to uh, get over to the next step? Yes and no. Yes, it's happening. No, because not as much as I would like it to. (laughs) So (laughs) I have a feeling you know who Deepak Chopra is. I do. And Deepak Chopra had something called the Chopra Center in San Diego in La Costa. Mm -hmm. And he offered, his company offered something called Perfect Health, which was an integrative medical approach. And they blended Ayurvedic medicine with everyday practices and yoga and meditation to enhance health. Well, I was the resident therapist there for almost nine years until they closed in December. 
So, yes, certain integrative medicine organizations appreciate. And I'll give you examples. If you have somebody who wants to be healthy but can't stop smoking, nothing on this planet will help them stop smoking more than hypnosis. Medications cause suicidal ideation. Hypnosis has only one side effect, relaxation. If you have somebody who's borderline diabetic but cannot say no to donuts, cannot say no to bread, cannot say no to pasta, sweets, cupcakes, ice cream, in hypnotherapy, I switch off carbs for them. So now it's no longer a sacrifice. Now they're no longer borderline. Now their blood sugar goes down within normal limits naturally. When you have somebody who's borderline cardiac because their blood pressure is sky, just sky high, they can own themselves all the way to next week. Unless you include the unconscious mind, the blood pressure will not go down. And the reason the physiology works is because, as you know, we have a nervous system And the nervous system has the central nervous system, which makes our body move. It also has an autonomic nervous system. The autonomic nervous system runs everything beneath our awareness. Hypnotherapy accesses your unconscious mind, which is also beneath your awareness. And luckily for you, because of my background, I have extensive medical knowledge So I can connect the dots for you in a way that maybe others can't. I love it. You you mentioned the Chopra Center, and I believe I first heard this story from Tony Robbins, and I think he was referencing something that Deepak Chopra, it was kind of like telephone, that telephone, where did it originate? But Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. anyway, there was a gentleman he, I believe he was in his early 20s, he was working in the mines, and he had gone for a physical checkup, and the x-ray had come back that his lungs were black. He had like a year left, or he was diagnosed with a year left to live. And okay. as soon as he left, he left the doctor, he kind of forgot about it. You know, I'm, I'm making it very simplistic. But he's telling the story as a 65-year-old man. And so... Mm-hmm. How important, and then I have to share the other story. So the other story, uh, Tony Robbins, again, he was talking about, I believe, his father-in-law. He was 80-something and had gotten a physical, and there was cancer that had come up on the x-ray. And the doctor was going to tell the father, and Tony Robbins said, well, let me tell the father, you know. I just want to try something out. He He didn't tell the father. And so he did that for two years. The third year, the doctor was like, I just got, I have to tell him now. And when he told the father-in-law, he died in like six months. So uh-huh. how, how important is, the, is having awareness if it's something to your detriment? That's a very good question. Ironically, it depends on who we are way before we receive the diagnosis. As a teacher of elementary kids, you really needed good, well-behaved children, right? Mm-hmm. 
And you also know and remember that there were some kids that didn't matter what you told them, that didn't matter what you threatened them with, that they had to bounce, they had to move their legs around, they had to be naughty because that's who they are. So in life, being the goody two-shoes has good aspects and benefits, but also has huge disadvantages. Because when somebody in authority, and we call it the white coat syndrome for a purpose, When a doctor looks at you, and I've seen this personally happen to loved ones, and the doctor says, you have, Maureen, you have 64 days. Because he has a place of authority in my mind, because I am petrified because I'm waiting for the diagnosis, because I am very aware that what he is saying is coming from a space of knowledge that's bigger than mine, I put me, I put myself into a state of hypnosis. The second the doctor says, Maureen, you have 64 days left, that drops in, into my unconscious mind and becomes fact. If I'm a goody two-shoes, my response is, okay, that's all I got. If it turns out to be that I'm defiant, that I fight against the norm, that I am technically not exactly compliant, when I hear, Maureen, you have 64 days left, my instinct is going to be, oh, yeah, you're kidding me? Are you joking? Why? Because you said so? That response is what's going to get me to live another 50 years. Mm-hmm. If I go, well, he knows, you know, what can he do? We've had countless people in our lives who were given six months, and within a week, plus or minus, of the six months, they die. Mm-hmm. Because I just accepted it. And what Tony Robbins did is, to, is basically prove that what the doctor says has a lot of weight. Mm. Absolutely. So sometimes being mischievous, sometimes being defiant, sometimes saying, uh-uh, no, 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 not today, not on my watch, is actually better. Again, it reminds me of, of dealing with all these scientists at the universities. And, you know, we, our job was to kind of smooth them so we can get the new building, you know, that type of sales, uh, golfing and all that. But, you know, after, you know, taking them out for drinks and what have you, come to find, I was always curious to ask, you're so smart. Like, how do you do it? What did, what did you, you must have been a bookworm in school. You're a big nerd and you're in the corner your whole life. And they would ultimately laugh and say that either they almost flunked out of school or they were a C student. And these are heads of large companies now, and they were charged with you know, bringing research dollars to their school. And what they said, or my biggest takeaway was that they were C students, so they were allowed to let their mind wander and they hire A, B students because they're like the uh-huh. goody two-shoes that will actually implement uh-huh. everything. Uh-huh. Does that sound about See, right? The A, B students, oh, you are on the money. You are on the money. The A, B students are drilled, brainwashed, trained, whatever you want to choose, to color only in between the lines. The C students color outside the lines because it's fun to shock everybody else. 
because it's fun to see how far they can go, the C students are the ones who tell you it's better to say sorry than please. The A student will only ask, please. Hmm. Here's how I say it. So people who know me know that my least favorite color is beige. So in my world, to be beige is really like a death sentence. Mm -hmm. So feel free to quote me on this. Why be beige when you can be fuchsia? Mm Why be beige when you have magenta, teal, emerald green? Why be beige? Why be average? The simple fact of you being born means you're not average. You're unique. So if you know you're unique, just genetically speaking, why pigeonhole yourself into average, mediocre, generic? Own your uniqueness. Own your every aspect, whether they're quirks or incredible talents. But be proud of the person you are and shine at your brightest. Mm. When you Think said why... We live in there. When you said why be beige when you can be fuchsia, it made me think of... <laughs> it made me think of dating apps, right? And you're on, on <laughs> these first dates. <laughs> you ask a cup, what's your yeah. favorite color? <laughs> Beige. <laughs> like, no! Check, please. There you go. Too funny. To me, it's like we have a buffet in life, right? Every day, all the experiences, they're just this unlimited buffet. And then you have some people who are choosing steamed rice because they know it, it's safe and they're not risking anything. But in the meantime, they're skipping ribs and octopus and mahi-mahi and turkey because steamed rice is safe. Mm. So I want to stay in the same vein of the whole dating. So in the, yes. in the dating world, you ask a person what color they like, and they say beige. We, we agree. Check, please. But what if you're <laughs> – okay, so that date's over. You go on the next date. And the next day, they have a ton, they're bringing all of their bad memories from their whole life to the mm-hmm. present moment. And can hypnosis remove bad memories so they no longer think like that? Hypnosis cannot erase memories. I, with hypnosis, I can di- um, diminish the emotional sting. I had one, one client who came in, and cards on the table here, her husband, her ex-husband really treated her badly. I cannot minimize that. Mm-hmm. However, she was foaming at the mouth. She was beyond furious. And at one point I asked her, when did all this happen? Without batting an eyelid, she said, 13 years ago. Mm-hmm the intensity with which she shared it felt like yesterday. That is not a good place to be, to have a new person that you're meeting for the first time. And they're basically emptying all their baggage on the table. That just shows 
they're still wounded, they're still in pain, they haven't learned to let go, they don't know how to let go, they think that this is who they are. He wronged me. Therefore, I should scream it from the rooftops. She wronged me. I should scream it from the rooftops. No. In the wound, in the event, so when people say, why is this happening to me? The question why keeps them stuck in the story, keeps them victimized. If they come to the point where they are re-triggered and they instead think, how is this going to help me improve? Or where is the lesson here? Mm -hmm. How and where are going to give them the tools to climb out of that hole of despair? We all have moments where we've been betrayed and hurt. But to stay with this big bullseye on our chest is not really beneficial to us. Now, most people, and, and again, we're talking broad strokes here. So most people will have the, the recovery time, and then just by time, the event almost is pushed into the background. However, if we go into the science base here, when you have a bad trauma, in your brain, there's a portion called the amygdala. The amygdala is your security system. It's telling you constantly, when you feel safe, that's because the amygdala is sending the message you're safe. When you feel like something's off, when the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, that's the amygdala telling you you're not safe. When something happens, a tragedy, a betrayal, you know, you're, you're, you're handed divorce papers, you, somebody just dropped dead, literally. The amygdala goes into high alert, really bad panic. The second it goes into panic, another portion called the hippocampus stops working. The hippocampus has one job, to file memories. So something that happened two weeks ago has an intensity, but as time goes by and now it becomes two months ago, then the intensity decreases. And two years ago, it increases even more. But if the amygdala is triggered, the hippocampus stops working so that betrayal happens every day. Mm -hmm. So unless they approach and look for help, hypnotherapy is phenomenal with this. I had a case years ago where the lady was in the military and she had been deployed for 18 months and she had already been back 18 months, but she slept with fists. And she was brought in by her loving husband because he was really worried she was going to deck him in the middle of the night and they <laughs> left each other. <laughs> and the only reason was because, yes, she had been attacked. Yes, she had been traumatized. Yes, the amygdala went into high alert. Yes, the hippocampus stopped working. So in her mind, she was attacked last night. So how was she supposed to relax if she was attacked last night? Mm -hmm. And then once we got the hypnosis done and her unconscious mind's programming was upgraded, that same night of the first session, the fists uncurled. And she got to sleep, relaxed. That's a great story. 
I, I want to go back to the, your other uh, other sessions you were having with the person her husband was treating her badly, and we were talking about you know someone unloading their baggage because they're carrying it around. Uh, mm-hmm. Were you ever able, and maybe not with this person, but were you ever able to determine that the trauma wasn't, in this case, 13 years ago, but it was an associated trauma in childhood? And how much of us are walking around repeating trauma subconsciously from childhood? A lot. That's the sad answer. A lot of us are repeating it, and here's why. So imagine the old-style vinyl records, and you know how they etch the sound into the actual vinyl? Mm-hmm. So you can also visualize etching glass with a design, right? Yes. So in the brain, every incident, every experience has what's called a neurosignature that etches itself into brain matter. So if, we'll do both examples. If I was mischievous, and for the people who know me know that's a very true statement. (laughs) (laughs) I should never tell them just by your voice. Don't you see me as demure and quiet and peaceful? (laughs) (laughs) So when I was mischievous, and let's say my mom yelled at me, that one is a neurosignature. And if it happened once, it would have been a fine one, like a very light, delicate neurosignature. But because it happened many times, being yelled at by mom became very deep, very ingrained. Our unconscious mind functions that we identify, associate, and respond. So if I find myself in a scenario with a little mischievous girl who's using my last nerve as a trampoline, my instinctive response won't be, let me hug her because all she's doing is wanting my attention. My instinctive response is, identify, yelling child. Hmm. Association, when I was that, mom yelled at me. Response, I'll yell at the child. Mm-hmm. And it's sad because from one aspect, Individually, we don't have the power to change it. Because when I wake up, when I am with intention attempting to adjust my behavior, the best I have in my conscious mind is 12%. For me to actually engage my entire mental capacity, I need hypnosis. Because then I engage the unconscious mind that is about 88%. So by myself, I can't stop me from yelling at the kid, but if I go to a hypnotherapist and ask them to help me with this, then they would. Mm. And then the behavior is changed. Thanks for sharing that example because we are a week here in the, in the States. We're a week away from Thanksgiving. 
and this may be the first time that a lot of people aren't together. But prior to COVID, I learned, or just other conversations, it was a really interesting hypothesis to understanding who you're dating. And the way I understood it was you don't really know them until you spend the holidays with them. And so that example you <laughs> That's the truth. Right? And so that example you gave as a child, how often are you able to see generational patterns that somebody's doing on autopilot? Well, holidays absolutely. And bad news. Mm. We see we see see everybody's on not on our best behavior, but on our polite behavior. Mm-hmm. When everything is going nice, when, when, you know, when your football team wins, you're happy. But how are you going to be if they lose? Mm-hmm. When it comes to a bad diagnosis. Now, remember, this is all layers. So how we respond also, by the way, is determined by what we call our survival instincts, fight, flight, freeze, and food. Because if you, and by the way, we don't choose it, we're wired in a certain way. So when it comes to people who are wired with fight, in a crisis, they take action. They're the firemen who run into the fire. They're the EMTs who are doing their damnedest regardless of what's going on around them. If somebody's wired with flee, they run away. They can't help it. They escape. If somebody's wired with freeze, they are frozen on the spot. They cannot even speak or take a step. And if somebody is wired with food, and I am not kidding with this, in the worst of crises, They will go and, by the way, it's always carbs. They will go and get a donut. They will go and make pasta. They will go and buy a sandwich. Because at least that is taking them through to tomorrow. Tomorrow will deal with it by itself. But right now, I have such a crisis that all I need is food. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to dating, you're absolutely right. Seeing them, and by the way, not seeing them with your family seeing them with their family. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Because their family knows all their buttons. And they can be calm, cool, and collective next to you, poised and elegant. But if somebody comes up and starts doing that noise that drove this person crazy when they were six, it's going to be interesting. So you're saying that we marry, we don't marry the individual, we marry the individual and their family. Well, it's a yes and a no. Their family knows them. Their family is going to, by the way, it's, it's a sadistic trait in all of us to embarrass our brother and sister yeah. with their new partner. <laughs> yeah. It just gives us joy. <laughs> horns, the, the halos are sitting on horns. That's the best thing to do. <laughs> But when it comes to who you choose to marry, who you choose to have a life partner, a a lifelong loving relationship with, there are two ways of how we do it. 
So again, we rewind the story to when we were babies. Instinctively, birth to about six months of age, we are completely oblivious. We're just a blob. Six months to about a year, year and a half. At about six months, we realize that mommy, if she's the primary caregiver, usually is, if mommy leaves, we as the baby realize that means death. So in the first six months, the baby can be passed on to everybody and everybody's happy. About six months, seven months, the baby starts making a big fuss because now she or he is not in mommy's arms. As we keep growing up, and we, by the way, correctly feel entitled to the fact that when mommy walks in the room, she has to come directly to us. There will be scenarios when we are in the room and she walks in and she does not come to us. She goes to that other person. Well, in our tiny little brains, we come to the conclusion, ironically, it is correct, that whatever that other person, usually daddy, is doing, he must be doing something better than what we can do because he is winning her attention. Because the ultimate gift here, the ultimate trophy, is mom's attention. Because if mom's paying attention to me, I'm alive. So we start copying daddy. And we have countless people, kids and adults, who tell you that the one common phrase that they heard their mom scream at them, oh, you're just like your father. Mm. Well, yeah, because we wanted her attention. So, of course, we're going to copy him. Mm. So now you have a little bit of um, bifurcation in the pathway. So we're growing up. We're about 12, 13 at this point. We're learning socialization. And we learn how to be personality-wise from our father. So extroverts attract introverts. So if dad is the loving, affectionate, bear hug guy, team sports guy, loves being a dad and a husband, everybody knows that he's a dad and a husband, then you're going to grow up like that. You're going to grow up comfortable with physical touch. You're going to grow up comfortable with public displays of affection. You're going to grow up with very comfortable in your own body because that told you it was okay. Mom, on the other hand, will be an introvert. So mom will be a little bit more aloof. Mom will do everything, all I's are dotted, all T's are crossed, but she's more aloof. She's more, she does actions to show you that she loves you. She doesn't tell you she loves you. Now flip it. If mom was the extrovert, but dad was the introvert, and dad came home from a 12-hour day, and the rule in the house was the second dad comes home, everybody quiet at least for 30 minutes. And then when he comes back into the dining room, that means he's okay now. Now we can all be having fun. And that is an accountant, a scientist, a doctor, a surgeon, an IRS agent, a web guy, an IT guy. He's more into numbers. He's more into papers. He's more into an analysis, statistics. He's not into touching at all. So he teaches the teenager that 
being more into the mind, into the brain, being more of a thinker, being more of an analytical person is the way to be. Now, as you're growing up and, you know, kids have crushes and the crush ends up crashing and burning, when the kid comes home, if dad is the fun-loving, affectionate guy, he's going to grab his little girl and say, oh, that boy is a stupid idiot. He doesn't know what he's missing. While internally thanking God nothing happened to his little girl. Mm-hmm. If the little girl comes home because the crush hurt her, dad has no idea what to do with it. And mom, because she's the extrovert, and in her world, touch, soothes, and heals, grabs her daughter, grabs her son, oh, oh, I'll, I'll make you this better, I'll, I'll cook this specially for you, or oh, I'll tuck you in tighter tonight. And the kid's like, yeah, mom, get off, please, stop. <laughs> so as we grow, teenage, late teens, early 20s, and we solidify the personality we are, we will attract the opposite. Are you saying that we marry our parents? We marry usually, usually the most. We marry the parent who impacts us the most. Mm -hmm. So if dad was the extrovert, but he was actually just an easygoing guy. And mom, as the introvert, ran the house. Because we've seen that, it impacted us more, there's a higher possibility that we will marry mom's personality. Mm -hmm. If mom was the introvert and was quite submissive, because dad was gregarious, dad ran the house, dad was bigger than life, then we're going to marry dad's personality. Mm. Ironically, the underlying here, which is something I help a lot of clients with, is the one that irritates us the most is the most we recognize and the most we're drawn to. And that's the chuckle of truth if I ever heard one. <laughs> yeah. No, just, hey, it's the truth. There it is. There it is. It's right there. There it is. There it is. <laughs> yeah. That's it's too funny. Because this is being transparent on the show, so. No, it's just Ten pure. Years ago, I was, <laughs> I was dating this guy, and uh-huh. I, it came to the point where he invited me to his home. And I was, you know, when you get that feeling and it's like, ah, something's up. I'm not quite sure what, but I can't really say it's over yet. Okay. So I, he showed me around his house and he's bragging and he's proud of his house and he's pointing out all these things. And you know how sometimes in the movie, they exaggerate it on purpose, and you get this shock of realization where you can't even place your foot on the ground. You're so surprised. Mm-hmm. 
And I had one of those moments. I'm walking into the former living room, and he's blah, 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 blah. And I walk in, and I, can, I stop halfway through a step, and I'm like, in my head, oh, my God, this is mom's furniture. Oh, my God, this is, this is, he's mom. God. God's honest truth. I cannot make this up. <laughs> No, more people need to see you and, and know this information. You know, a part, part of it is lack of information. And so we're breaking down a lot of the foundations of, of reasonings while we're doing things unbeknownst to us because it's, on the, uh, it's mm-hmm. on the unconscious. We're doing it unconsciously. And There's you mentioned, an amazing reason. We just don't know it, that's all. Right. Well, speaking about not knowing – um, I'm in the advertising marketing space, and we're always talking about the 50s when people would go to the movie theater, and they're waiting for the movie to start, and they're showing, you know, a coming before they show coming attractions, and they're like, "Aren't mm-hmm. you thirsty?" And and long story short, people, the advertising companies had to stop because they were un- hitting their un- uh, the the customers' un- subconscious. And they were making yeah. a lot of money from it. So can someone hypnotize you without you knowing? Well, <laughs> very good question, sir. Technically speaking, no. But unfortunately, there's a, there's a percentage of hypnosis that happens around us 24-7. So let's talk about going to the movies. We have a 40-foot screen with surround sound that's beyond loud. We all know that a guy in tights and cape cannot fly. But when we're sitting in the movie theater, we are, <gasps> because he almost fell. When it comes to hypnosis, movies are hypnotic. When it comes to presentations, when it comes to speeches, speeches are all hypnotic. We come into, there's something called an overload. The definition of hypnosis is to overload the mind. So when it's a regular scenario, a movie, how many people do you know who will not watch a scary movie at night but will watch it in the afternoon? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because by the time it's nighttime, they would have diluted all that information with the rest of the day. One of the things I highly recommend is never watch the news at night mm-hmm. because news is shocking. News is bad news. News is overwhelming. News puts you in hypnosis with the bad stuff. In therapy, I cannot hypnotize you without you knowing. It would be incredibly unethical, and by the way, it wouldn't work because each of us works out of our morals, ethics, and beliefs. So if I was hypnotizing you to make more money because it's what you wish, then all my suggestions would be accepted. If I was an unethical therapist, which thank God I'm not, let's say I'm hypnotizing you for you to make more money, but then I underhandedly say, oh, by the way, next time you swing by the bank, pick pick me up an extra million. Even if I did say that, because you are ethical, you won't do it. 
So there's a lot of people like The Manchurian Candidate. That's the first movie people talk to me about. Mm-hmm. I can't force you to do anything. I have, I have a perfect example. I had a client years ago who wanted to reduce weight. So that comes with three, three things. Stop carbs, more water, and move your body. We work together. She's sending me texts. She reduced weight with incredible ease. She's beyond satisfied. Every time she sees me beyond before COVID, she, she would hug me. About COVID had already started, so probably April of this year, I get a text. And the text was, I have to tell you because I lied to you. Mm-mm. So then I'm curious, right? I'm like, lie to me? So in session, when I was asking, did you stop the carbs? Oh, yeah, no, no problem. Are you drinking more water? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you exercising? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, the truth of the matter was she hated water, so she didn't drink more water. Over the years, she was in different situations where everybody was recommending to her specifically to drink more water. Mm-hmm. And by the way, every time I do a hypnosis session, I record the hypnosis and then I email it to them. So this lady had her own hypnotic library that she would listen to repeatedly, periodically, to just reinforce suggestions and keep her going and advancing and and getting better. So when she finally made the decision internally, yes, I, I, I should start drinking more water. Then and only then, that she actually started drinking more water. Hmm. Not before it was acceptable to her. Right. Good point. Good point. You mentioned the movies and, you know, pre-COVID, I I used to be, I I still consider myself a cinephile and what have you. And I made reference to the 50s where they were pinpointing that. But as Uh a person that you live and breathe hypnosis 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Have you seen any messages that were hitting the masses this year that you're like, oh, my goodness, this is definitely going to hit the, per, uh, the general public's subconscious? Yes. I do love this it. This has again. been bothering me, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to share <laughs> Sure. Because it's like one of the things where – Everything in my life, you just said it's so right. It's not just how I see it. It's almost like I have this different perspective. So everything I see goes through a different filter. Yes. So you know how people have rheumatoid arthritis? Yes. There's a commercial. I don't remember what the medication is, but there's a commercial that talks about how it's going to prevent the disease from progressing. And then it says, and by the way, go to this website to see how it could progress. And you see the fingers on the hand from straight digits to all gnarly and twisted. That's a hypnotic suggestion. That's Mm. showing the patient who's already been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis where their hand is going to be. Mm -hmm. So technically, that's the last thing they want to do. When it comes to the body, 
we, we don't know if you and I, no, let me make it even more unique. If tw- identical twins have the same disease, the doctors still don't know how the identical twins are going to respond, mm-hmm. let alone you or me, let alone the entire population of the state. Mm-hmm. So to go to that website and see how the fingers are going to get distorted, that's just a hypnotic suggestion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as you were saying that with the twin, I'm a twin. Um, it, well, I have a twin sister, but I was when <laughs> it's very political. But you you said the whole state, and I thought the whole globe. Right? How are we going to mm-hmm. respond to these commercials for <laughs> these solutions? Mm-hmm. It's going to be very. We'll probably have to have you on like weekly to give us an update. <laughs> this is the way it's going on. Um, yeah. Let me, let me give you an example that has nothing to do with anything, but it'll prove the point. Okay. If you ever see anything about demonic possessions, hmm. if you ever see anything that has anything to do with exorcism, how do all the people know what sounds to make? <laughs> No, I don't deal with either, and no, I don't go anything near negative energies. But that was always my question. How do they always have the same? Right. How do all the people who claim the alien abductions all have the same descriptions? Right. Because when we heard about them, we were so scared out of our wits. We put ourselves into a hypnotic state and absorbed that information. If I tell you, absolutely, if I tell Mm -hmm. you I was running down the stairs, twisted and fell and twisted my ankle really bad, that now I have a knot the size of an apricot, there's a part of you that's wincing, and you didn't Mm -hmm. hurt your ankle. Yes. See what I mean? So with, with that, use that, stay there with that example because it made me think of the collective co- consciousness, but it also made me think of empaths. And is it be in hypnosis as a whole, like those that are more susceptible or open to different stuff, they're able to be, they're more easily hypnotizable, correct? Uh, yes and no. Empaths feel a lot more than most. Mm-hmm. So an empath, So if everybody is walking around in a waterproof raincoat, an empath has a coat made of felt. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows it's raining, but they're not wet. But the empath is soaked through. Right. When it comes to empaths and hypnosis, they're kind of different. The only way that I can answer you is when the empath is overloaded, they do tend to fall into what we call environmental hypnosis faster than most. Mm -hmm. So then they would be open to experiencing more. And by the way, when they're in hypnosis, the unconscious mind is wide open. So then unfortunately, it accepts more negativity than positivity. 
Mm-hmm. And that's where things go south. That's why hypnosis is I put you into state and then I bring you out of state. Mm-hmm. So by the time you walk out of my office or you walk out of my session, you're back into being non-suggestible where you can make your own decisions, you can make your own assessments, and you're now just loving the upgrades. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you did mention a few seconds ago about uh, the demon or negative energy. And as of late, since probably the secret kind of reopened this type of communi- conversation to the community, and one thing I've seen on social media is hypnosis for meeting your spirit guide. So do you do any of that as well? Well, I am more... So here's here's the you're getting me to share a lot of secrets today. This might be dangerous <laughs> for me. <laughs> um, so I am I am from the island of Malta, and Malta was named in the Bible in the Acts of the Apostles. Saint Paul was shipwrecked there. So I was born and raised Catholic, on one of the very first countries to become Catholic. So I. Would, I would tend to say that my energy, my spiritual, my metaphysical work is more with positive entities as in, let me just check here, as in angels and God and positive energies as in guardian angels, archangels. I do a lot of work with energy but it's the life force energy from Reiki. Mm-hmm. Spirit guides themselves, I mean, animal guides themselves, I don't usually do. However, I will always tailor my work according to the client's desire, which is bringing me full circle to the whole, you know, studying thing, because I did study a lot of shamanism for the simple fact that if clients are requesting it, I need to be able to help them through it. Mm-hmm. So it's not just what I say, it's how they receive it. And if they receive it better with shamanism and the medicine circle, then that's what they get, if that's what their mm-hmm. preference is. If they'd rather do energy work and bring in angels, then that's what I work with. Mm-hmm. Animal guides, I would probably take them to a space where they can find their own. So one of my pet peeves in the hypnotherapy world is where people tell you, you had a past life and you were Napoleon and you had this experience and da-da-da-da-da. And you're sitting there going, really? When I take people into these experiences, I take them to a neutral location. By the way, it's their choice of location. But then I let their unconscious mind fill in the blanks. Because there's a big difference in impact if I tell you you were Napoleon or if you find out you were Napoleon yourself. Right. And between you and me and all the reader, all the listeners... I would tend to 
and I've had both scenarios happen. I would tend to tell you that when I experienced what I experienced, I knew it to be true for me. Mm-hmm. When somebody told me this is what happened to you, okay? Yeah. It wasn't, yeah. It wasn't the same for me. It didn't have the same validity. Gotcha. You're saying belief goes a long way on the receiver. Yes, and, and experiencing it yourself. Right, right. Hmm. Yeah, that leads to another question, but we're, we are at the top of the hour. But before we go, uh, you were talking about bad news, and I'd like to give a shout-out. You had mentioned the firefighters. I'd like to give a shout-out to all the firefighters in the northeast and surrounding areas for all of us that are in the NFC North or the NFC East. We've had nothing but bad news all year for the whole conference, and we're going to continue to get bad news until the Super Bowl. So for those that don't listen to football and they're constantly bombarded with bad news, uh, especially during the holiday season, what would you say to them to settle their minds so they're not consumed with this overload, overload of the mind? So the first thing is this. There's a Maya Angelou quote that I absolutely love, and it is, every storm runs out of rain. Mm. And in the worst of times, just remember that sentence. Every storm runs out of rain. At some point, we will be past COVID. Another comment that I like to share especially when it comes to sports, and you just set it up for me perfectly here. And it's not, the, the sentence is not just applicable to sports, but also in life. So when a sports team goes out onto the court, onto the field, are they playing not to lose, or are they playing to win? That's right. And how are you, me, and everybody else, how are we living our life? Are we living our lives to just get by, are we living our life because come hell or high water, we're going to succeed? Are we living our life? And, and you know people like this. If the past mark was 70, some people do enough to get 71. Right. But some people do enough to get 100. So how are you playing? Are you playing to win? Are you willing to just get by? Because... Yeah. If you don't give that oomph, another, another little adage here, the difference between try and triumph is a little oomph. Mm. And don't you think you deserve it? <laughs> yes. You deserve yes. that little oomph because when you step up, when you show up, when you are giving your best, by the way, for you, whose life is going to improve? That's right. And to make it all make sense, there's one thing that will change everything for all of us, and that's gratitude. Yes. Find five things every day that you can be grateful for. I don't care if it's a comfortable pair of shoes or the best homemade soup possible or just peace and quiet or the hot water in your shower. Five things you can be grateful for. Five things that you can literally just stop and say, thank you, God, for this. 
Yeah, that, that's why I think those listening to the podcast, I, I wanted to thank the uh, firefighters because they're going to save a lot of jerseys from being burned by the end of the season. <laughs> You're so bad. You're so bad. <laughs> <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. That was my takeaway, Marie. <laughs> That's right, man. <laughs> please, please, please give your website, social media, and so forth so people can get in touch with you to learn more information. Absolutely, yes. So my website is prothrivesbh.com. P-R-O-T-H-R-I-V-E-S-B-H.com. Find me. I'm on all platforms. I'm everywhere. Maureen Pisani, P-I-S as in Sam, A-N-I. Message me, text me, email me. I have workshops coming up. I have something that your audience is going to love, and I'm going to make it public in the next two or three days, so you guys better be available because it's going to launch 2021 immensely well. Oh, I love the sound of that. Oh, yeah, just wait. Just wait. I don't do 71. I don't do 98. You don't do beige either. Thank you. No, I don't do beige either. You got that one right. Awesome. And with that, you have just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. Maureen, it was a pleasure. Please, please, let's stay in touch. Absolutely, yes. My pleasure to be of service. Thank you. Can you hear me?